So I hope everyone enjoys tonight's pod. And we dedicate tonight's pod to Kev Bennett, Gassard, we've lost recently and much too soon. It's okay not to be okay, lad and ladettes. Please, all our DMs are open if you ever need anything. Enjoy what's to come. We echo the thoughts of Ollie there. Um, he'd like to de- dedicate this episode to his good friend Kev Bennett. If you feel you're also struggling with your mental health issues, um, lockdowns getting too much, there have been extenuating circumstances, etc., you can call Mind, the charity Mind, on 0300 123 3393. That's 0300 123 3393. Alternatively, if you're not feeling well enough to call someone but you do want to reach out, you can text them on 86463. It's 86463. Good evening and welcome to a, another emergency broadcast from the, the Totem Bar. We're still locked down. The government have made sure our punters can't come in. So we've got millions of pounds and litres of ale going to waste. Um, I say waste, monkeys drinking through the stock, but we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll, we'll sell it when the uh, when the summer's open. Um, we thought we'd do an emergency podcast because the last time Rovers sacked a manager, which was a whole 84 days ago, um, we did an emergency podcast and it seemed to go down quite well. Um, so we thought we'd do exactly the same thing. Tearsdale's gone. He's now Twasdale. Um, I've been practicing that line. It's a good little line in it. That's the, that's the episode title, Twasdale. Um, so we thought we'd come up with sort of how we felt Tisdale did, how we felt, was he the right appointment in the first place, who do we want next, who would we like as a wild card, um, who do we think is going to get the job, um, is there any point in hiring a manager with the structure that we've got. Um, so sit back, um, I'm sure I'm going to go in pretty hard at some point with our esteemed director of football, I'm sure the other guys have got some some comments to go as well. But um, before we started, obviously we did a, a quick, um, quick little chat or, or sort of quick reminder about the mind charity i also wanted to make sure that we had a little message go in about the community trust and uh, the work that the gas girls and the community trust are doing i think it's about time someone said it on the record um, as fans we really appreciate the work that, that adam and nathan do at the community trust and the work that the, the gas girls have done over the past couple of weeks and they're, they're volunteering um you know as members of that community we are we, we couldn't be prouder of them um and i think that's something that, that, that needed to be said um i think that deserves as much if not more fuss than than tisdale being relieved of his duties. So, so thank you, Gas Girls. Really, really appreciate the work you're doing. Um, I'm sure the people who you get in contact with appreciate it as well. But we'll move on to, to Tisdale. With me is Oliver Down, Andrew Monks and Charlie Gibson. Um, let's start with yourself, Andy. Um, out of 10, what would you say what would you say Tisdale sort of scored um, you know, as, as a Rovers manager? Where would he rank in the in the echelons of Rovers history? Wow. Uh, good question. Um, he's going to be down the bottom, isn't he? He's uh, he's got a, a worse record than than Garner, aren't they? I believe. Um, Certainly, this he's probably does, not. Yeah. yeah, so he's probably not pissed people off as much as a Paul Buckle uh, or an Atkins did. But he's got to be in that in that company, hasn't he? Really? I mean, what has he actually achieved? Nothing. You know, we've we've gone backwards. Let's be honest, we've gone backwards. You know, under Garner. There was at least a plan. There was an idea of, okay, we've got these young guys that 
you know, we're going to maybe develop and they're going to train. And there seemed to be an, you know, an idea of how we were going to play. It wasn't working, let's be honest, which is why we got rid of him. But there was an idea that maybe the penny might drop with them and we were going to you know, suddenly start playing. You know, we played some nice football, didn't we? Yeah, you know, some of the goals we scored towards the end were nice, you know. So there, were, there was a, a sort of a, an idea, if you like, under Tisdale, all he's done, as well as I can see, is just shot everyone's confidence to pieces. Yeah, I think if we just very quickly, I mean, it's a really strange way of giving a mark out of ten, that mate. But um, <laughs> but we'll. Um, you also we'll asked where we his... where we ranked, didn't you? So I yeah, was trying I to put. Yeah. We just went through his record really quickly. So in all competitions, games played nineteen, games won five, including three in the league one in the FA Cup and one in the Pizza Trophy, drew three games, which means we lost 11, nine games in the league, one in the FA Cup and one in the Pizza Trophy. In those 19 games, we did we did average more than a goal a game, which is 23 goals, but we also managed to concede 29 goals in 19 games and we didn't win any of the final 10 games under Paul Tisdale. So in that context, Ollie, where do you, you place him? I really do think that comparing Garner with Tisdale is slightly futile for the simple reason that Garner was given a pre-season, a full summer transfer window. And we I think Smith's probably going to come on later on to who shapes the squad, who signs the players. But fundamentally, Tisdale was appointed on a Thursday at the start of November. He had two days then before he went to Swindon. And it was very much... And we played Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, virtually every week, apart from when we've had coronavirus in the camp. So to compare Tisdale with Garner for me is futile. I take the point that I think he's probably deserved the sack. He cannot have any complaints that he's been sacked. His record speaks for itself. But I'm concerned as a football club that there's not many times that you sack two managers in a season and stay up because that means pretty much you've been pretty naff for most of the season. I think it, what it demonstrates, it demonstrates the players aren't good enough, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I think we're going to come to this later on, but for the head of recruitment to survive two managers, for me, is scandalous. Oh, he's now managers. been put in charge. Four well, managers. If you look at it this season, I'm, I'm looking at more this season. Okay. How can you come to the conclusion that you've changed managers? So That's a good point, Smith. So we'll go with four managers. How can you constantly change manager, 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 it not get any better and you come to the conclusion that it's the manager's fault. I do think, as a football club, Rose have got to be looking higher up onto to Mr. Widrington for answers. I, I personally think Tisdale was on a bit of a hiding to nothing coming in the middle of the season. He wasn't backed in the transfer market in January. And do I see the situation getting any better when whoever is appointed this week or next week? No, I don't, to be honest. Charlie, what are your thoughts, mate? Um, uh- I'd have to agree with Bowles. I've probably been quite a big fan of Tisdale. I was quite pleased when he was appointed. And to start off with, I thought he was doing a good job. He did play some good stuff. Although, on reflection, I can't remember any of the wins bar Wimbledon really being convincing. I remember you said his stats there. I think we were lucky against Plymouth to get that win. Darlington, but you've got to take the opposition there. I can't. didn't watch the Pizza Cup. Couldn't even tell you who we beat. I think, to be uh, honest, we could have put, you could have put us in the team against uh, Darlington and we would have won, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I mean, we played Blackpool. Oh, well, I don't know where they are in League Two, but we should probably be beating them. 
I mean, we had a funny five minutes against Blackpool where we turned on and scored two goals. And Wimbledon was the only real one where we looked convincing. So on that, I think his win percentage is probably, it's not too bad. I think it's a five, was it five and 19? Yeah, five and 19. So not it too is bad. You on drugs? One in four is, is, is relegation form. Obviously, some of them weren't in the league. Um, well, obviously, there were no wins in 10 in the last, so that is definitely relegation form. But he won three games in the league. Yeah, in 17 and then, and then games. The last, and then you look at the last 10 and you feel the position probably is untenable now and it probably was fair to move him on. But I feel you look at what I was said and what you're going to bring on to Luke, that I don't really feel Tisdale is the man to blame for all of this. I feel it's the man who brings the players in. We can discuss his record. The, the game that, for me, put his nail in his coffin was not Accrington losing 6-1 last week. It was losing at home to Rochdale. You've got to look at the league and understand teams that we've got a decent chance of beating and de- teams we're not going to beat. We should have beat Rochdale at home. That's a game we should be winning, looking at the table at home. The Accrington result is obviously dreadful. Looking forward to Saturday, they've got Swindon. They've also got Wigan to come within the next two weeks. I pose the question, if... The, the situation could have looked more rosy in a week's time, and we'll never know now. But I don't, I don't see how it, how it would look more rosy. I mean, we we had a conversation, and as I've said before, and I, in the last four games, you could have picked any one of us to have played in goal against the Bristol Rovers, and the results wouldn't have been any different. We haven't, we haven't, and I, I know I bang on about shots on target, so don't go there. I know that, but it's a bit, it's the basics of football. You know, you get a shot, you, you hit the target, you shot. First thing I was always taught as a young kid, the first thing you do in the first few minutes, you can test the keeper, see what the keeper's all about, see whether or not he's any good. Is he going to be chucking him in, you know, because he can't catch like some cocky we've had in the past, you know, or is he going to be on one of them days, you know, where he's saving everything, but you test the goalkeeper, you find out. We don't do that. We don't test the goalkeeper. We don't do anything. We don't shoot. When we do shoot, we used to get 50 million miles over the bar. It's ridiculous. So just, I just want to follow on from that, actually, mate. I think, for me, I was, I was teased early. I know a lot of people were teased out very, very early. Um, hit you really early, actually. I did half time at Swindon away. Um, well, what did I say to you? Yeah, when, Swind- when we played Swindon, and I and he set up to basically go to a team that hadn't won for God knows how long, and he went there blatantly for a nil-nil. And then we got suckered with a, with a, with a, with a, a bit of ridiculous defending and lost 1-0. I said to you, the bloke hasn't got a clue. It's his first game in charge. You've got to be going out there, all guns blazing, against a team that I don't think had won at home all season, or only won one at home all season. Their record was ridiculous. They've been conceding goals for fun. Yeah, I think they just got smashed the game before with a, a comical own goal where their centre-half has passed it back to the keeper and he's completely missed it and gone in. And we've gone there and stuck 10 behind the ball and gone, oh, yeah, we'll have a nil-nil. Fucking ridiculous. Yeah, I think I think the point I was going to make was, I think, tactically, I think he, he got he got nearly every game wrong. He got nearly every game wrong. I think the, I think I agree with Ollie that the nail in the coffin, the nail in the coffin for me was Tuesday against Oxford. I think that was our ceiling under Tisdale. I think that was the best we were ever going to do. We created, we created a few chances, didn't get any of them on target, didn't work the goalkeeper at all. We conceded two chances and they scored both goals. Like they showed us how to be a football team. 
and um that was that, that for me was all right i'm out and i was i was incandescent we've, we've actually a game we didn't play that badly and i was incandescent and thought that is it that, that, there's no better we don't get better than that with this team but i put it to you two things firstly i remember we the, the draw away at peterborough actually, to be fair, you got the draw away at peterborough bang on they're a team that yes. that, that thrive with with wide players getting the ball out wide and putting the ball in the box so having three okay. center half to deal with the crosses coming in and having wing backs to force them out wide and, and, and pack in the middle with those defenders and forcing the players out wide to put them to... Sorry, they forced them inside because we had the wing-backs, um, stopping the crosses and all those balls that went through the middle, we had centre-half to sweep up. He got that bang on. The game after, he played exactly the same formation. He played five at the back and he sacrificed the, the, the players in the midfield by playing two players out wide and two wingers. And we got completely overrun in the midfield. And I said that from Tuesday night. I said, if we play that formation on Saturday, we will lose because Rochdale will pack the middle. Lo and behold, Rochdale packed the middle, we lost. I'm not claiming I'm a football genius. I'm not claiming that playing a different formation would have won that game. But I'm saying is it was clear as day to me as a fan, and it was clear as day to loads of other people as fans when I was having those conversations, that the, the five at the back isn't a formation that suits League One particularly well because so many teams want to pack the middle and put five in the middle rather than five across the back. And when you've got five in the middle versus five at the back, the five at the back are defending 10 yards further back than they need to. So you're already conceding 10 yards worth of territory. But I put it to you, the tactical analysis is pretty boring, especially when it's fans doing it. When when did Paul Tisdale make a substitution that changed the game? Daryl Clark was amazing at that. He was he was the best I've ever seen at that as, as a Rovers manager. The best by mile of recognising he got something wrong. He'd offer make two changes in the first half and he'd get it right and he'd correct it and we'd win the game. We'd win the game without fail normally. Uh, when did Tisdale make a substitution, recognise, be mature enough to recognise the game was going wrong, he's got something wrong and and make a decisive substitution. Ollie. Matthew, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. Daryl Clark was the master at it. Graham Coughlin was also very good at it, but for a different reason. He would, Daryl's would, Daryl would quite often come up with some funky tactic that would initially start wrong and he'd change it up. Graham Coughlin had the ability to go in the dressing room as he did, which is well documented in the South End game at home before Christmas, basically for all intents and purposes, put a rocket up players' jacks and cancel the Christmas party. It's about being able to get a reaction out of the players. So you've got two scores. You either got you change it tactically, or you change it like motivation-wise. And for me, as Ravens manager, Tisdale had none of those capabilities. And for that we reason, from, it was we came difficult from behind to, to win. Those yeah, we came from behind to win once, and that was Blackpool at home. That was the only time we came from behind to win, and that was in 19 games. We also went one down after about 15 minutes, and were two up by 35 minutes. So that, yeah. from for me, that wasn't a, a, a tactical masterpiece. That was just the game happening. It's just showing. Really. It's just a point about how getting a reaction out of players. We yeah. go. We we've we've gone behind in basically every game um, that Tisdale was was in charge of, um, and we came back to win one of them. And you know, tactically, I think he was he was inept. I think he was. I think he was too rigid. I think he was too. He didn't know his best eleven. I think it was quite obvious he was let down in the January transfer window by by signing what is ostensibly been a bad goalkeeper. Um, I also think. Oh yeah, sorry, we did go. We did go one down at Wimbledon. You're right. Um, he's had a bad goalkeeper and he's had a right back to solve our, our attacking issues. And I think he's just. And that's not his fault. It's just the, the cards he's been dealt by by the operations of the football club. But um, but yeah, I, I just think he was maybe because we weren't in the stadium and we weren't giving him the rocket that. That, that that fans would be giving him because Coughlin, let me tell you, Coughlin got a uh, got a rocket, um, you know, from the fans. Coughlin was winning and he was getting booed. So Bryce knows what Tisdale would have received. 
um, for turning that shit out. But um, but Charlie, obviously you've been a little bit quiet, mate. What what what, what do you think of Tisdale? Because obviously you were Tisdale in for quite a while as well. It's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah, I feel with Paul Tisdale that I don't really know what sort of manager he is because he doesn't strike me as a tactician because the substitutions are absolutely mental and they just don't make sense. Likewise, with Coughlin, you you could see that players would want to run, run through walls for him. I mean, you had Ed Upson running, so Coughlin must have been fantastic. So, And you look at Paul Tisdale and he just strikes to his side person you wouldn't want to talk to, really. I just don't really feel you can have a connection with him and you're going to want to run through walls and you're going to want to win for Paul Tisdale. So I feel if you haven't got passion or you haven't really got fantastic tactics, you're a little bit fucked, really. And I felt the players weren't playing for him. And as soon as that happens, you're gone, really. And it's just weeks. I'm, I'm not sure you could say the players weren't playing for him. I think against Oxford, I think they demonstrated that they were playing for him. They There was a lot of huff and puff. There was a lot of effort. There was a lot of, um, you know, you cannot fault the actual, you know, work ethic of the players. They, 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 every single player, I think, left everything on the pitch in that game. The problem was with the Oxford game was the shape was abysmal. You had Rodman one minute out on the wing, again, the touchline. The next minute he's going through the middle, which then left Otzuma then thinking, well, well actually, where am I playing? I'm a, I'm a, am I playing off a daily? Am I playing up alongside daily? Because Rodman's in the spaces that I should be um, picking up. You know, there was just no shape to it whatsoever. And I think that is where he tactically got things wrong. He couldn't get across to the players what his plan was. He kept banging on about keeping it simple and keeping it and doing the basics. And then every single game, he would change formation and change the way we wanted to play. We'd have, you know, three up front, and then it'd be one up top. And then it'd be like, if you're going to play it simple, just play it simple. Keep the same formation, keep the same players almost. And just go, right, for three or four games, this is what we're doing. Let's go real back to basics, and we're going to keep the same formation, the same um, the same team. This is what we're doing. I want you to get out wide. I want you to hug a touchline. I want you to play in the space. I want you to do this, do that, do that. Whatever it might be, don't keep changing it every single week because that's not doing the basics, is it? Yeah, for me, actually, part of the problem was that I think the players were playing for him, and I just don't think he could get the shape right to get enough out of them. And, and I know certainly for you, Smith, when we spoke after the game on Tuesday, that was part of your thinking was that actually we played all right and we still couldn't really fashion anything. So, and to bring the conversation back round and we sort of said, where does Tisdale rank in terms of like previous Rovers managers? For me, he's got a record that's abysmal, but will he go down with the likes of McGee and Buckle? No, he wouldn't for me. I haven't got that level of of anger towards him. I really do think he's on a hiding to nothing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So let's wrap up the Tearsdale chat before we move on. Can I just, uh, can I just say one more thing about that? It's quickly. Yeah, um, do we think, because it was quite damning for me, The obviously the comments he made after the game at Oxford, where he basically threw all the strikers under the bus, didn't he? You know, he came out and said that they're all going to be good players one day, but they're not very good at the moment. To paraphrase, that's basically what he was saying. And 
every single, you know, particularly after Atkinson and then, you know, after Rochdale, he was continually asked, you know, what's the latest on our sign in a striker? And you could see him getting more and more and more irate at the question being asked of him. So are we saying that Paul Tisdale didn't sign a striker because he didn't want one? Or are we saying that Paul Tisdale didn't sign a striker because he wasn't allowed to sign one? Well, we don't know. We, do, we, we don't know. And that yeah. is it. It, it was also when I'm asking the question, it's, uh, it's uh, out in the, uh, up, up there to, for, for, for debate. Because it seems to me that he obviously had his, uh, his he was planning on signing Jaden Stockley. From what I've been told, it was near enough a done thing and Shelton gazumped us at the last minute. So was he then told that actually, sorry, there isn't uh, there isn't any alternatives, and and that is why he was getting more and more mad. And was that why he threw the strikers under the bus against Oxford in the post match interview? Because Ala Darrell Clark, he was having a bit of a dig at the at the board, and Ala Darrell Clark, there yeah, is your is your is your papers on your go. Yeah, go on, Ollie. I I I actually you've kind of said what I was going to say. I think he. It was definitely, for, for me, I interpreted that more as a dig at the recruitment team above him and people above him, and in a very, very similar way to Daryl Clark. I actually thought he looked to protect the strikers, to be honest. He said, we've got a lad out there leading the line for us who's played a dozen games, and he's going to be a fantastic player. He's got all the ability in the world, but he's not to expect him to fire us into a decent position in this league is, uh, is unfair. I actually thought he happened to try and protect his strikers and basically said they needed more help so for me it was definitely a snipe above him rather than as the strikers I would have said yeah that's what I'm saying so he was obviously saying there, the strikers are going to be good players they're not at the minute um, they need help but if Luke was saying that yeah. after the windows shut you know so that indicates to me that he's been telling yeah. you know well Widrington, you know, whoever wants to listen, that he needs a striker, he needs a striker. And obviously we've been told, you know, in the in the press that we were gonna we were in for Stockley, we were in for Smith, and we were in for the guy from the ex-Blackpool player and all that. I'm not gonna go and try and pronounce his name. Um, you know, and it 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 didn't come to fruition for whatever reason. So, you know, are we then turning around and saying that the reason why we didn't get a striker is because of Tisdale? Is it his fault or is it, is it, is it more? Is there, is there more to it than meets the eye? And is it actually a problem with recruitment and Widrington, or is it a question of there wasn't actually any real um, budget there because of the wage cap, which obviously ironically is now gone? Um, but then I say, if we've agreed to deal with Starkly, that would indicate there was, that there was money there to be spent. So why did we not get that striker over the line? And that was what really infuriates me. And then when Oxford beat us 2-0 with two strikers that were signed on deadline day, one of which I was banging on all window that we should have signed, Elliot Lee. No, Luton openly said he's available for loan. And you got um, Tisdale saying, I want a League One striker that can hold the ball up. Well, hello, there he is. Where did you go and sign him? You know, it just infuriated me. And then you got other players, other clubs signing these strikers. Why weren't we? And that I said, I was literally on deadline. I was throwing things around the house because I was just getting mad, more and more mad. I was more mad at that than I was at the six-one defeat at Akronson the following night because it just set everything up for me. That was. I want to bring you back, Muggsy, to when you said about Tisdale making a dig, and I was about James. 
he's been a fantastic player. I feel that he's probably making a dig about the summer as well. As soon as Tisdale come in, I think I think everyone noticed he wanted to bring more experience back in, and he looked yep. to straight away to bring Ed Upson back in. He's recalled a go go. So do you feel that it was probably him not allowed to sign a striker because he's obviously he wouldn't have gone for another young player because I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure when he was extra as well, done a video about Ollie Watkins saying it's all good having two or three youngs in the side, but you can't do well with eight or nine of them. So I feel that the recruitment this season, on paper, I can't lie, I was buzzing when we signed them all. I thought it was one of the best windows we've had, getting players from all these Premier League clubs. And then I was, pro- I was probably one of the stupid ones. Yeah, the girl up, what a window. Tommy Whittington has had a fantastic job. And we've come to it. And let's be fair, I'd probably argue Nicholson, but they're all crap, every single one of them. And I feel you've got to be sorry for Tisdale because he's working with idiots. Go on, Smith. Right, can I go now? Can I go? Before you go, can I just say one thing on that? Before you before you let off your leash? Yeah, go on. I don't necessarily dis- I don't necessarily agree that they're all crap. I actually think that nine 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 out of ten of those players are actually good footballers. The problem is they're all good footballers in the same position. You know, it's like signing. Um, to make it very, very simple, it's like signing three world-class goalkeepers and going, what a great window you've had. You can't play all three of them at the same time, so it's completely pointless. You know, we signed Otzuma, McCormick, Nicholson, um, you know, all these players that are, you know, number 10s, if you like, or creative players. You can't play them all. You know, and then bombed out a go-go, going back to Ghana, which is why I'm one thing he did do right is that was bring him back. You know, it's no good having all these footballers who can pass the ball and, and do all these amazing tricks and can do all these great passing if you haven't got the football. You need people in there to win the ball and actually um you know do the hard work and all the hard graph and get stuck in. You know, I I had a look, we've had one player this season be suspended. That was Max Eimer. He's the only player to have pick up suspension. We're in League One, an actual league where kicking lumps out of people is part and parcel of the game. And we have one player that has picked up five bookings before Christmas. Grant was close to a uh, suspension, um, but just picked up his fifth booking just after the cutoff. I mean, what the hell is that about? And, you know, Say what you say about Ollie Clark, and I quite agreed to be honest that he was re- he was released. I thought you know he was a player that flattered to deceive sometimes, but at least he would go around and put his foot in, you know, get stuck in, put a tackle in. You know, we don't make tackles; it's ridiculous. And the same thing with our strikers. Ball goes in the box. We're second best. We're second to every single ball, and that is why we don't score goals. That is why we can see goals at set pieces, and why we don't win the ball. Um, you know, in in, in in places in midfield because we are second best in every single department. Off you go, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would argue that none of them are good players that they've signed, but well, I'm not going to sit here and be here all night because we will be here all night about, you know, the intricacies of, of you know, one player on a good game and then one player on a bad game. I agree, and we've we've discussed at length off-air off or off-air, what an idiot, but off-pod, off, off pod, um, Rovers are shit at the dark arts. They've been crap at the dark arts of the game since Cochrane left, and that is the reason why we don't we don't see out enough games that we're winning, and we don't get back into enough games that we're losing. They're crap at breaking play up. They're crap at they're crap at stopping other teams breaking on them. They're absolutely crap at it. Like really, really, really crap at it. 
and that is right because they've signed too many too many flimsy Westbrook types. That's, that's not the single Westbrook out, but we've signed too many of that type of player and loaded them all in the middle and none of them want to do any defending. I, I put Grant in there. You know, Grant should have been, you know, he should be that defensive midfield player that, that you know, came in and supposed to be the, the the guy to carry the midfield from your Clarks and from your Go-Go's. And he's been he's been powder puff for most of the season. He's, he's been completely anonymous. He's been the invisible man for a lot of it. And he's just, he's not good enough, I don't think. So we all accuracy summed it up, didn't it? We lost the 50-50. You know, he should be going through the bloke there. If he doesn't win the ball, he takes the man out and gives away a free kick. Who cares? You know, and it's a piss of a yellow. So what? You know, he he lost the 50-50. I missed the wrong side. Gets on a bang. And then he got one nil down. It's ridiculous. If we just go through the signings then that, that Wigington has made since since he became head of recruitment. So we're going back to the summer of 2018 here. And then what what you can do is just give a one-word answer. Tell me yes or no. Have these players been a success? All right. So who was who wants success? Define in your, success. In, in your opinion, in your opinion, we, we won't have a debate about it because we haven't got time. But you just tell me yes or no. Have these players been a success? All right. Everyone, all right with that? Yep. Yep. Right. So Stephen Payne, success or not success? Fail. No. Huge fail. Huge fail. Right. So fail from all of them. Ed Upson, success or not a success? Fail. Fail. Success. You could argue his success on the amount of games he's played, possibly. Um, yeah. In terms of ability of a footballer, he's one of the worst I've ever seen wear a rover shirt. Sam Matthews. Fail. Alex Rodman. But to be fair, Sam Matthews, that was down to injury. Yeah. We, we haven't really seen the best of him, did we? We didn't see him really. But... You're giving an awful lot of excuse here to, to Tommy Whittington, mate. He failed. Alex Rodman. Success. Fail. Fail. He's played four consecutive appearances twice since he's been here. Not good enough. Theo Widrington. I wonder where Tommy found him. Oh, you've got to say fair. I'm not even going to answer. <laughs> and despite being a cult hero and a, and a loved man on the terrace, as ultimately as a signing, Gavin Riley? Foul. Success. Uh, Sent Plymouth down. Fuck off, Riley. Right. <laughs> the, the remaining two players signed in 18-19. Abu Agogo. He was signed in 1819. He's that old, is he? Fucking hell. <laughs> Abu Agogo? Um, success for me. Good player. Fail. I think it's quite hard to define. I think he started the season not at the football club. He's been injured a lot, but was critical in keeping us up that season, I think. So yeah. I, it's one, one way or the other for me with him. Yeah, the only one is completely black and white in, in the correct, in the good column here. Johnson Clark Harris. Success, obviously. <laughs> success, he was right, wasn't he? Yeah, he won bad. Tom Davies. Fail. You've got to say fail, but I actually think he's a good player. I think, he, And he's still, I think he could be a success. I, I think the jury should be out on him. Okay. Get injury has not helped, has it? Is that a contract then, season? Yeah, um, yeah. I think I'd probably say successfully played, but he played enough, so he probably has a fail. Yeah. A I'm not sure you can hold injuries against the against uh, Widerinson, can you? Players getting you injured. You can if it's one or two players, but let's see if it's 24 or 25 players, shall we? Holly? No, just Charlie summed up uh, um, Davis there excellently. When he's played, positive, but obviously not played enough. So you have to, for me, ultimately, I have to put him down as a negative. Absolutely. Absolutely. Josh Hare. Success. Success. Okay, I would also argue... I'd argue he's in, the, he's in the same camp as Tom Davies. He's been all right when he's played, but he's been injured too much. Anthony Ticola. Yeah, well, what I would say with Josh Hare was it was a, it was a, a, a lower league player that took a chance on, and actually he has 
proven, in my opinion, he's a football league footballer. Yeah, he's, he's not a bad player, but he doesn't play enough. Yeah. Right, so Anthony Jacola? Success. Oh, success, but again, he has yeah, been Yeah, if you're going to talk about injuries, yeah. Seasons. He hasn't he's played after Christmas, has he? Yeah. He's never played a game after New Year's Day. Actually, he's played one game after New Year's Day and got injured in it. Jordy Van Staffordshire. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna say a word. I'm. I'm, go, I'm going. I'm walking out the door. I feel if we're talking oh, about Tommy Widrington here and Jordan, it's door. very important that we mention how much Tommy Widrington thinks we're going to get for Jordy Van Staffordshire. Yep, he was signed with the idea of getting at least four million pounds. I believe was the press release or something he said in his contract. They reckon he'll go for a few million. So that's laughable, really, isn't it? In that context. Sorry, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, whoa, whoa, whoa. Run that by me again. I haven't heard that. Say that again. Uh, there was an interview that Widrington gave um, about Jordi Van Staffordshire. And he said he's the type of player that you sign in order to sell for a few million. Because of the way they identified him and whether they brought him over. I believe four million quid. I can, only, I can only assume that he's bringing over drugs from Holland then. <laughs> because that's the only way we're going to get four million out of him. I'm pretty sure that's libelous. Brilliant. Uh, Luke Leahy? Positive. Oh, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Agree Fail. With that. I, I think he's awful. I'm sorry. I think he's awful. I know he's played a lot of games. I'm sorry. You signed a bloke as a left-back, which is what he was signed, and the bloke can't defend. I know he's good going forward, and I, and I get that. And he has scored some good goals. I know he's probably been our most consistent player, but to be the most consistent player in a sack of shit isn't really anything to be, you know, to be sort of taking credit for. I, I, I can, yeah, he's on the on the fence, on the fence. Well, my Twitter is going to look a bit stupid here, but I probably would have to argue he has been a success. We've had countless left backs now, and he's still our number one. Well, that probably says yeah, anything got, more. That's, 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 that's more for the, that's, that's more for Widerinson than Lee. <laughs> There's a lot, obviously, a lot of categories that define a transfer, and we signed a, a fullback as well, as well, I understand was out of favour at Walsall, and I the think team that got relegated. Yeah, absolutely. For the money we paid, which I understand was probably nothing, he's probably on not on a lot of money. I, I think it that as Widrington signings go, that was one of the better ones. Yeah, and what a high watermark that is. Um, well, I would argue, I would argue, had we not signed Luke Lehigh, then Michael Kelly would have been given a better run of a games. And I reckon Michael Kelly, had been given a run of games, would have proven to be a better fullback than Luke Lehigh. Monksy, I, I'd, I'd have to agree with you for the first few months of my Twitter. All I've said is Michael Kelly's better. But when four managers have been in now, and not a single one have given Michael Kelly a chance, and now he's shipped off to Yeovil, I feel that's quite a hard... But- I think the reason, f- but the reason for that is that all these managers we've had keep wanting to play wing-backs and Michael Kelly is not a wing-back. Michael Kelly is an old-fashioned full-back where he'll defend first and attack later. If you ever look at all the left-backs we've signed and all, even all the right-backs, all the full-backs we've signed you know, in general have all been, let's attack first and defend later. You know, it's easier to teach a defensive player to attack and go on the wing than it is to teach an attacking player to defend. And they could have quite easily have worked with Michael Kelly and got him into a position where he was, you know, a similar player to a, you know, a Lee Brown, rather than have a, a winger and then trying to turn him into a fullback. I'm sorry, it's not working, is it? We got all these wingers or wing backs 
None of them can defend. None of them can defend for Toffee. I'm sorry. It's the worst fullback I have ever seen at the club. And that is saying something when I've seen people, you know, like, you know, Graham Power play for them, you know, and, you know, we've had some rubbish, absolute so, rubbish, you know, play you there. put on record here that you think Bob Harris was better than Luke Leahy? Yes. Defensively, yes. Even. Defensively, he was. Oh, we're defensively, away, defensively, Oliver Downs. We're getting away from the point slightly here. Um, no one wants to sit here and debate whether or not it was easy to turn Michael Kelly into a into a good fullback. He was here for years. If it was that easy, it would have happened. It didn't happen. He was terrible. He's been loaned off. But good luck to him. And let's hope he has a good career. Let's move on. Josh Barrett. Fail. Jury's up still. Um, Josh Barrett. Fail. Okay. James Daly. Fail. Success. Jury's out for me. Yeah, yeah, Joy's out, but at the moment he's a failure, isn't he? Because he hasn't played any games. He's injured all the time. I want to say, go on, I'll give him it. I'll say success. Yeah, I'm, I'm leaning towards more success than I am fail, but I'm certainly on the fence. Um, Kean Harry's. Else. Uh, fail, mate. Monty. Got to say a fail, ain't you? Charlie. Massive fail. Right, so what we'll do is I'll I'll I'll, I'll, I'll wrap through these in summer twenty twenty quickly because I think the point's been you know pretty pretty hammered home here that most of them up until last last summer have been failures. There've been one or two in which we disagreed on, but most of them have gone in the failure camp. So, given most of these players are now first teamers and we've sacked two managers this season, um, you're going to be pretty hard pushed to, to, to argue any of these have been a success, maybe bar one. Um, so just quick one word answer. We don't need to debate it. Ollie, Josh Grant. Fail. Monksy, Josh Grant. Fail. Charlie Josh Grant. Fail. Same order. Jack Baldwin. Success. 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 Say again. I said, did you think of that, figure that all by yourself, Charlie, or did you just go with uh, <laughs> what Ollie and Monty thought? No, if I've said look- a couple of times, he's our best centre half. Apart from Gilgore that we've signed. I agree. I agree. If you'd well, have asked me this question a month ago, he'd have definitely been in the foul category, but I think he's actually looked okay. I think we've got to be fair, haven't we? Yeah, yeah I'm not. Yeah, I'm I, can't be I fair. agree. You don't have to all agree with me. Because we have this conversation. Come on. Fail. Fail. Huge fail. Sam Nicholson. Success. Jump in. Failure. Oh, that's harsh. Charlie. Success. I'm Jerry's out. Miss way too many games. Goes missing. How can you call him a failure, Sam yeah, Nicholson? He's, he's the only player that looks like he's actually going to score. I'm not debating that, but he's been injured too much. And, and he a, goes there, missing. There is a common. But you said James Daly was a success. He's. I would have said he's probably impacted more games than than Nicholson. He yeah, over the last month, especially, he's gone missing big time. That's what yeah, I said. He really has. He really has. He's been shocking for most of the games. Absolutely terrible for a lot of them. Um, but I when think, he's good, he's fantastic. I, I, There's no doubt no, 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 no. that. I do think long term Nicholson will come good. Because there is clearly an outstanding footballer in there, but if we're going to rank Tom Davis out as a as a failure for being injured too much, I think we've got to put Nicholson in there as well. Yeah, but Davis has missed like three quarters of a season. Nicholson's missed like four games. Well, Davis missed a year, didn't he? Yeah. No, he's missed more than that, mate. Right. Let's Nicholson. move on to the next one then. So, Jonah Younger, where are we putting him in the success failure or on the fence camp. On the fence. Success. Jury, jury's out for me. Jury's out for me. Yeah, definitely. 
hasn't scored. I think he scored one goal in the Pizza Trophy. And for a striker, that's that's terrible. But he's a young kiddie. And actually, when he's played as a as a hold up player, he's been quite good. He's been quite good. So I think there is a player and there. Again, but... he's come from a he's come from a long way down, hasn't he? It's, it's a no risk strategy, yeah. you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Zane Westbrook, Charlie. Failure. Monksy. Failure. Holly. Yeah. Uh David Tutonda. Monksy. <laughs> Complete failure. <laughs> Oles. Failure, but again, no risk really. Charlie. Success. Thank you, Doug. And then we'll just wrap through the last two. I think we can't really I think the jury are both still will be out on these. Ben Liddle and Ali Koike. Jury's out for me. Yep, agree on both. Not seen enough of either of Charlie. Yeah, can't you haven't seen Lidl enough. Koiki's looked bright, but again, haven't played enough games. And then Brandon Hallen. Su- success. But can I just caveat that with if a big number nine would have been signed with him, it's not his fault that we haven't signed anyone else. I think as a as a signing on its own, I, I think it's been a success. I would argue he's been replaced to, to he was signed to replace JCH's 25 goals a season and he's scored eight in all competitions and he's tracking for 17. Um, so when you look at it in that context, um, he was the sort of the flagship striker that was coming in. Appreciate there are extenuating circumstances. It's COVID where he's in a shit team, but he's not going to get 25 goals a season and he's not, he's, he's, he's never been anywhere near that. So he's a, he's a failure for me at the moment, but I, I agree when he, he's so frustrating because when he's on the ball, you're not tapping him that you're not getting the ball off him he's phenomenal as a ball carrier like number nine he's amazing at that he's so good at it but all the other elements of being a football player he's absolutely atrocious at he's he's one of the worst but there is a player in there which is annoying yeah go on Oz. I think wh- whether you want to categorise Hanlon as a success or a failure are you are you categorising it as a failure of Tommy Widrington and our recruitment strategy or or a failure as a he's been rubbish I think the answer in terms of he's done okay in terms of his ability and what he can yeah. bring but in terms of Tommy Widrington's, Widrington's recruitment strategy he's representative of something that's gone really wrong yeah yeah I think that's a, that, that, that's the key point I think that, that point goes for loads of those players is that as players they are I mean most of them, some of them are crap but most of them are okay players but as a as a strategy as a which Monkey said it before we started this that as as players, they are okay players. But as a as a strategy, as a as a plan, as a progress, as some as as somewhere to take the football club, they they aren't good enough. They're not a good enough collective. And so many individuals have failed as individuals, as individual players. And for for the for the context of the new manager, which we'll come on to in a minute, for that context for the new manager to come into, which is ostensibly they'll be dictated to the players that they get to sign. They, they might have an idea about the positions they want to improve, but their targets will be dictated to. And then they'll, of those targets, they'll sit down and discuss which ones are the best. But they, they don't get a pick of who they're going to target. And that is not a condition for any manager to come in and be successful at when when the target identification has gone so wrong for so long. Ollie? I think you've hit now on the head there, Smith. And for me, the problem with Widrington and the whole recruitment strategy is twofold. One is that obviously, as we've just highlighted, I think, they've got too many signings wrong. That's point number one. But the second thing is that they haven't, they've not recruited in the areas they need to recruit, such as a number nine. And for me, such as a proper, what you call old school centre half, a Tony Craig, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. 
that is is as much of a problem as the players that they have signed. It's players that they haven't gone and got as well. Yeah. Um, what I also want to say, along with the recruitment team, that we've all we've most of you have said here that you think they are good players, the ones you brought in, they're not working as a team. But surely that's got to lie with other people in the club as well. You've got to look at, we've got analysts in who watch every single game. And if these are good players that are good at football, what are they watching? They can obviously see the mistakes. I don't know how many goals we've conceded from set pieces. I don't know how many goals we've conceded that the exact same. Whenever we score, it's always, we concede straight away. So people who've watched the game and are paid to look at your weaknesses, I don't know what they're doing. Because you've all argued that they're good footballers. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt here, the analysts, and say actually some of them aren't very good. And well, you can't really help. But if you want to go down the route that we have got some more right footballers, the people that are paid to make improvements have got to go first before any manager. Yeah, Andy, I agree with yep. that, Charlie. That's a good point. I totally agree. I totally agree. You know, and he's and that's a very valid point, actually, about the number of times we've scored, you know, and then the other single straight at the other end and score again. One of the first things drummed into me when he was a kid as a defender was when you score you don't concede for five minutes you you switch on you go real you know really really focus really really go to the point that you know right we are going to hold it we're going to stand firm for five now we're going to you know hold our place get we got the goal great we're not going to let them back into it and how many times have we conceded straight after scoring and that to me is down to concentration and down to leadership and Ollie had a great point about um, we didn't replace Tony Craig, who was that leader, if you like. Um, I think the club did replace or thought they did replace Tony Craig with Max Eimer. They thought we've signed a leader. We could sign somebody in our back four who's going to come in, a younger version of Tony Craig. He's going to, you know, coach and and not coach but um put his arm around Alfie Kilgore you know and he'll take over from um Sony Craig and be that leader and be that person in the back four and he hasn't done it for whatever reason he hasn't done it whether or not it's because he's you know not settled in the area new club and next season he'll be fucking brilliant so maybe with Max Imer it could be a similar thing you know maybe you know he hasn't got that personality where he's new to round people he can't be that you know, that dominant leader, whereas because he'd been there at Gillingham so long, he, he could, I don't know, you know, and also with Brandon Hanlon, you know, we signed Brandon Hanlon uh, as a striker. We didn't sign him to replace 25 goals, as you said. He was signed as a replacement to score goals. The plan was we signed Brandon Hanlon and we signed James Daly and we signed Sam Nicholson and we signed Zane Westbrook and we signed Luke McCormick as a collective, they replaced the 25 goals, you know, and that was the new way, the new philosophy of us playing football was we're not going to rely on one man scoring 25 goals and everybody else um, chipping in with one or two. It was, we're going to have 10 goals from him, 10 goals from him, 10 goals from him, 10 goals from him, 10 goals from him. And so far, only Brandon Hanlon has been the one and Sam Nicholson to an extent that has chipped in with those 10 goals. We haven't had 10 goals from James Daly. We haven't had 10 goals from McCormick. We haven't had 10 goals from Otzuma. We haven't had 10 goals from Zane Westbrook. You know, we've had very little from them guys. And poor old Brandon has basically been up there, isolated on his own, trying to carry the can for everybody. That is a good point. That is an interesting point you make. And it's something I hadn't considered before. But let me slice it the other way. 
Brian Lesfewitt as a collective and none of them have scored 10 goals, you know, uh, even Hanlon hasn't. So they're all failures. So it, it doesn't matter which way you slice it. You either look at Hanlon, which is harsh to look at Hanlon in isolation as 25 goals. I know it's harsh to come in and expect a, a 22-year-old or whatever he is to, to come in and be the next JCH. It's, it's tough. But that's what he was signed to do. And if he wasn't signed to do that and the contingency plan was 10 goals from everywhere else, that's also failed. So we could beat around the bush as much as we want and we can, yeah, yeah, we yeah. can, kick, the, we can kick the can I'm, wherever we want to kick it. it I'm just, not you know, disputing the it's fact it's failed. I'm just saying it's a bit unfair to blame Hanlon, that's all. I wasn't blaming Hanlon particularly. I'm just saying that I'm just saying as a, a, a sign-in in the context of where we currently are as a football club and how many goals we currently scored as a football club um, and being that he's the main man for goals at the current football club, he has been a, he has been so far a failure and there is a player in there. We've, we've said that. Um, but at the minute, it's, it's, it's not good enough. And, it, and to be honest, the blame doesn't lie with Brandon Hanlon that he's not good enough. It doesn't lie with Sam Nicholson that he goes missing in and out of games and he's got a poor injury record. No, none, of, it's, none of this is the player's fault and it's really key to get that across the context they've been signed in, the club they've been signed into, and the structure that they've been signed into, i.e. Ghana. Um, you know, Ghana's Ghana ball beforehand. They're going in and signing a bunch of money ball players and hoping to coach them and, and flog them for quick profit. That's fucked. We're not getting a profit for any of these players. Maybe Nicholson. The rest of it's fucked. And then for Tisdale to come in, and as we've already said, be so tactically inept as, as he was and, and unable to set up an attack, it's really difficult for these players to shine. But that, that all the fault lies with someone higher up in the football club for me and we'll move on to the new managers in a second but I think what's the point in hiring a new manager which will be my, my closing statement to the jury what's the point in hiring a new manager what's the point in going and getting someone external or promoting someone internally when there's a there's a spectre there's a ghost there's a ghoul there's a goblin at the top of the football club in charge of everything else in charge, he's the director of football he's in charge of the whole football and operations of the football club and he's fucking useless and he's been proven to be fucking useless for four years he's done nothing right possibly JCH possibly a Jacola. But we're giving these, well, definitely JCH, possibly Jacola, possibly Hare. There's so many that the jury's out on or have been failures. There's not many that have been juries out on all their successes. And it's a disgrace. And it's and nothing's going to change. We're going to keep kicking the fucking can down the road and keep hiring manager after manager after manager, which we've done for the past four years. And we've done it as a football club for years, don't get me wrong. And we've only had brief periods of success before it's all gone to shit again. And that isn't Tommy Wiggins' past and the fault in the past. But the current situation and the current fucking roundabout and the current fucking no-go-round is his fault. And I realise we're not going to get onto iTunes in India now because I'm swearing so much, but fuck India. They don't listen to us anyway. Get rid of Tommy Widgington. That's the bottom line for me. And we'll come on to the managers in a, in a minute. But all of it stems from the decisions he has made or been a part of. Every single bit of it, the rut that we're in, he has had a hand in, and he's the only yeah, one in the club, maybe bar Whale. But I don't doubt Whale's intentions. I don't doubt Whale is the right man for the job. He's just been unfortunate enough to surround himself with the worst possible men for the job at the worst possible time. Ollie, you've got your hand up. Smith, you're absolutely correct, mate. And I'm not going to do your blood pressure any good by asking you what you think of the fact that he's been promoted this season as well. It's unbelievable, isn't it? It's, in a context... <laughs> Of, I'm going to have an aneurysm in it. In a context of three three failed managers in in 18 months, and then a fourth manager, which is obviously been, he's been fired, I think in less than 80 days after his last promotion, um, after he got promoted as director of football, the fact he's got he's got voting rights in the direction of the future of the football club when he's got the present so fucking wrong is is unbelievable. It's un it's an unbelievably bad decision. And Whale has made, and I'm not Whale out, and I'm not a crit- criticizer of Whale particularly. I think. Catalyzing the debt, and in that context, he's been he's been amazing. But in terms of the people he surrounded himself with at the football club, other than Tom Gorringe, the, the senior hires have been an absolute disaster. And let me tell you this: just one last point before I move on to Charlie, and let me, let me calm down, and I might go and get a beer. So the fans, <laughs> to, to, to the other fans who are saying we're not Widgington out because 
everyone was happy with the with the summer transfer window that we had in the summer and we were all happy with the signings that came in. Our job as supporters of Bristol Rovers Football Club and as fans of the football club is to be excited about these players that are coming in. It is to find reasons to be hopeful. That's why we support Bristol Rovers. We want the best for the community asset that we're all in love with. Their job is to get those fucking players right and they haven't done that. So we, it's all right. Us, it's all well and good us being happy with Max Aimer coming in. On paper, that's quite good. It, we can find reasons to be excited about it. But the, the context he's been brought into, the recruitment structure that's brought him in, and the, the 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 sort of football club that he's come into, isn't right, and therefore he's failed. It's the same for all of the other players. We're allowed to be excited by it, and we're not wrong to say the person responsible for signing these dog shit players or the, the, the dog shit situation that's been been cultivated by the recruitment strategy is dog shit and has to go. So to those to those fans who are saying, "Oh, well, you're all happy in the summer," fuck you. You're wrong. It doesn't matter that we were happy in the summer. And if you want to get me on Twitter, you can. We can have this chat on Twitter. That's absolutely fine. If you want to have a beer, we'll have a beer over it. But you're wrong, and you'll see it by the end of the summer. By we're in League Two, and this dickhead's probably our manager. Then that will be that. That will be my just desserts. And when we're in League Two, and I'll be thinking to you, we, you were you were happy with this summer transfer window last summer. You were happy with these players. How are you feeling now? Because you look fucking so, silly being happy now. So if Tommy now wins twenty games on the banks. As um as manager, we've got twenty games left, haven't we? Um, and, and gets us in the playoffs, and then wins the playoffs, um, and takes us up, and he turns around and goes, "Smithy, told you these players were good." He says, "Here's these fucking wasters and managers that were the problem." That's his job. You know? That's his job. That's what he's supposed to do. So it'd be it'd be amazing, and it'd be fucking. Oh, this is the biggest turnaround we've ever seen. It'd be, be incredible. And I'll have I'll have some humble pie, but that's his job. Is my job as a fan is to be excited and my job as a fan is to criticise when it's going wrong. His job is to fucking sort it, especially if he's the manager. So I'll say, well you're, done. No, your Fantastic. job your job's to fight financial advisors. So go back to that. <laughs> the, bloke's a, the bloke's a prick. Well, he's not a prick. I don't know him. And actually, when I did meet him, he, he answered loads of questions and he was, and it's a fair play to him. He was very upstanding and very, very honest with the way that, he, you know, the, the way that he answered questions. And, and he is probably the only one who doesn't shirk responsibility when it comes to answering questions in the board. But he's got a lot of fucking questions to answer. So it's probably why. Charlie. You're probably not going to like this because there's more Tommy. I think you've probably missed out the worst thing. He's appointed two crap managers now. Forget the players. This is two managers now because he says he has a say. And these are two people. He's openly come out and said, this fits his philosophy. We're going to have Paul here for a long time. And this is going to be Ben Garner here for a while. And they haven't even lasted a season each. So what's... I mean, you can sign more players on the Absolutely. What's the point in bringing in another manager? What's the point in having this conversation or, or them interviewing... Because it's him, no, and it, I think the this is Tommy. Him. This is this is this is me, Tommy, out here because he's come out both times and said this manager's long term. This manager fits my plans. Well, Tommy, hate to say it, mate, but your plan's absolutely crap. And if your long term is eight months, get fucked, get out of here because it's not our long term. We've been waiting forty you know years what? for a stadium. That's long term. Do you know what Charlie's hitting the nail on the head there? Because you can make an argument. You can make an argument so, um, about you know. Well, you can't blame. Um, we're doing so and he's just basically finding players and the managers are signing them and fine I, I can I can I can buy into that we don't actually know do we who is actually signing these players is we're doing some giving them a list of you know 20 names and by hook or by crook Garner and Tisdale are actually picking the one or two really shite players on that list that have all the really good ones and going no no I really want these shit ones they're the ones I really want to sign it, which would answer the question of why are the shit ones on the list anyway is a, is 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 a point, but there we go. Um, but you could argue that the, the the as head of recruitment, 
head of scouting, call it what you want. His job is to provide players to the management. And the manager has been the person that has picked those players and has actually signed them. Okay, so okay, we'll take the blame away from Widerington for that. We'll just say he's only providing a list. However, there can be no way of getting away from the fact that he has recruited two very, very, very poor managers in the space of 18 months. The only constant in all those players that you're talking about being provided to the manager, the only constant, only shit players being put on the list, the only person who's been there for the whole time that isn't well, Caddy, is Tommy Widgington. The buck oh, stops there. I agree, mate. I agree. I'm just a playing devil's advocate for the people on Twitter who think that you know, Widerington is not to blame for any of this, that you know he hasn't got any answer, anything to be answered to because all he's done is just provide a list of names to the manager and it's all the manager's fault. Okay, let's buy into that theory that it's all the manager's fault that all these shit players aren't actually anything to do with Widerington. It's all the manager. Okay, well then he needs to answer, be answerable at least to the fact that he has signed and two very, very bang average managers who, let's be honest, had no track record in League One. I mean, we both work in recruitment, Luke. If you were looking at a CV for somebody, would, you, would Ben Garner and Paul Tisdale jump out at you as the oh, the absolute candidates that, that we'd be looking at? No, no. They don't tick any boxes at all. Not, not, they, don't tick, they don't tick any boxes within League One experience, League One success. You know, when they're talking about we want to get promoted, we want to do this, they don't see any boxes with regards to that. They don't see any boxes with regards to um, this new philosophy of how we're going to play. We're going to bring these young kids in. Yeah, they're great coach. Yeah, uh, Garner, great coach, can bring young players through, can do all this. Great. No experience in League One, no experience of managing, no experience of actually playing the game. Paul Tisdale, yeah, he's got Ollie Watkins and a few others on his on his CV, but no experience in League One, no experience of actually having success in League One, no real experience of actually achieving much. And yet, you know, Tommy Riddinson in his fucking um, thought best best thought process thought these two were the best people for the job. It's ridiculous. We there's many people in terms of the Ravers fan base, who surmise about how the football club works in terms of structure, decision-making, et cetera, et cetera. There'd be no better time tonight having a gas for Mr. Widrington to have gone on there and explained his role at the football club because many people have got questions and I'd like to think that Jeff Tuzeroman would have asked these questions how does decision-making in terms of transfers and recruitment work at a football club? Is it... Absolutely. Say, so say, for argument's sake, that Tisdale is the manager of Bristol Rovers Football Club. Does decision-making work at a football club whereby Tisdale phones up Mr. Widrington and says, Withers, we'll call him Withers for now, I need a centre-forward in excess of six foot who scored 20 goals at League One level. That's my criteria. He's got to be over six foot and he needs 20 goals at League One level. Is that how it works at the football club? Or is it the other way around where Widrington goes out and signs the players and puts them on the manager? Well, that we need, I think, as supporters, we need to know 
Well, Winston did, to... did a um, an interview, didn't he, where he actually said that that is basically how it works. So the manager will turn around and say, I want this type of player, I want this style of player, and he would go and then compile a list, not, not just him, obviously, um, but him and his team will go and compile a list of, of players that fit that bill. Okay, great, fine, fantastic. So at what point, and I can't imagine any manager in his worth his salt, has turned around and gone, can you please go and get me a squad of players that are under the age of 25, you know, that that, that can't tackle? Because that's what we've got. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I want five left-backs. I mean, you please tell me, any, any, any fucking manager who's got any clue about football has turned around and gone, please can you go and sign me four left-backs? That's what I really want. I really want four left backs and three right backs and three strikers. And that's a really balanced squad. And that's exactly how I want to play. You know, I'm sorry. I, I cannot believe that Ben Garner is that stupid and that naive. And neither is Paul Tisdale, where they've turned around and gone, that is a squad that I want. And that is what I'm going to do. That, that, that is coming for someone else. To sign that Koiki, who I actually don't think is a bad player. I actually have seen him a couple of times. I think he's quite good. But to sign him to Tonda and then to go out and sign Williams in the window, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, I mean, what is it? We all dream of a team of fullback or something. It's, it's, it's bizarre. It's completely bizarre. And I just do not get well, why so I will, I will agree with that on the left-hand side. But, we, but I will say that we were playing Max Aimer at right wing back for half a season. So I feel, uh, I, this is going to sound a bit odd here, but I ne- didn't necessarily believe we needed a striker. In January, I didn't think that, that I thought the right back and goalkeeper was our two worst areas. Yes, Joe Day has not been very good, granted. But I feel Williams has oh. come in and done a good job. Yeah. And the two areas we need to strengthen the most, I personally feel we needed a winger more than the striker. And we let Mitchell Lawson go. He's got, he's got wingers. He just doesn't play them on the wing. I'm sorry. He's got Sam Nicholson and he's Alex got Rodman, Rodman who can't run. He can't run. He could, he could, he could quite easily. Run. He could quite easily play Tatonda on the wing if he wanted to. He could quite easily play um, Koiki on the wing if he wanted to. He could quite easily play Josh Hare on the wing. I mean, we're saying what what he's saying is that Tatonda, Koiki, and Josh Hare can't defend. They're great going forward, but can't defend. So I need all these fullbacks. Well, okay. Well, then play a four-four-two and play them as wingers, as as midfield players. It's not difficult. It really, honestly, I'm, I'm, I don't know whether I'm just being really stupid and being really basic about things. But you know, if you've got you play, you play people in the in the positions that they play. Rather than playing a centre half at fullback, okay, we haven't got we haven't got a right back. Okay, what well, we'll do then? And this is what some of the that the I done very successfully when I was managing or at a very much lower level was you put a fullback who's maybe good at going forward. So you could play, for example, Mark Little at right back and play Josh Hare in front of him or vice versa. So that when the one of the fullbacks went on the overlap, the other one would sit in and defend and help him out. I just don't, you know, you're saying Josh Hare. Well, Josh Hare, was it in his first season or second season, has one of the best success rates crossing higher assists. It's unbelievable. Play him on the fucking wing then. He can't defend. Fine, no problem. Stick Martin Little behind him or stick Williams behind him and stick Hare in front of him. And let's let Hare bomb on an attack. It's not difficult. It really isn't. And this podcast is firmly going to go down now in the explicit category. Yeah. 
I think we have to mark this as explicit. Let's end the the post mortem. Always mark as explicit. Let's let's end the the post mortem of the of the Tisdale era, um, or eighty four days of it. Um, we managed to get an hour of content out of eighty four days, which is pretty good going. Um, and let's move on then to who do you who do you if we could just give like who do we want to be successors first? So reasons why, um, and then we can sort of have a chat about about maybe reasons why not. Um, and then we can sort of do what we did last time and, and get the get the managerial prediction absolutely bang on. Um, and hopefully the uh, <laughs> it won't go quite as badly as that one did. So so Charlie, why don't you start with with who who it is you want to, to Rovers to a point and and why? For me, I felt on the bookies list. He was there last time. He's there this time. Nigel Atkins. He's been he's been out the game for a while. He's proven a League One level, and he said recently he wants to get back into the game. And I feel that. It's, I feel Bristol Rovers are a League One club. Like, if you look, like, I feel that's probably where we are best suited. It's probably our level. And I feel if we do stay up this year, we've got Wales having to put the money in, the training ground, prepare, he's paying off a debt. We are a club on the up if we get the recruitment right, which we've just spoke hours about we haven't. But I feel Atkins would come in as a bit more of a leader, a bit more well-known and have his contacts. And I feel the job he done at Southampton Smith, you told me countless times. Decided he had the best League One team you've ever seen. Oh, I mean, if he can yeah. get, if he can get something even half as good as that, I feel we'll be on the way to the championship with Nigel Atkins. Squaddy had in Southampton ended up having two World Cup winners in it. I, I, ridiculous, ridiculous squad he put together at Southampton. He had um, a lot of money in mind, didn't he, at Southampton? To be fair, yeah, and that's that's I mean, that was yeah. the one caveat I was going to say was that Southampton are a properly well-rounded football club, and they were in League One with. You know, a really ambitious owner, which we've got, but the structure of the football club, the infrastructure of the football club was, you know, billions and billions of pounds away from where we are. You know, that A, they didn't have Tommy Widgington for a start, but B, look at their training ground and look at their stadium infrastructure compared Actually, to ours. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, Actually, was playing, say, yeah. <laughs> they did have Tommy Widgington. <laughs> um, you could pick 91 other clubs <laughs> and you'd have been bang on. Yeah, you're right. But the thing is, like, I just. Yeah, they they were they were the squad he put together was amazing, and I don't want to give the manager I don't want to take away from what he did, but the money that they spent and the 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 the, the, the academy infrastructure that Southampton has, you know, famously, and all the infrastructure off the pitch they had. Southampton are not a League One football club, and were never a League One football club, and should not have been in the position they were in. It's quite easy to take a football club with the biggest budget out of the league. It's quite an easy thing to do, um, and do it in style. And I think he did that. So, Charlie, I feel like a proud. I feel like a proud dad tonight, mate. Bear in mind, 84 days ago, we did our Tisdale, our Garner Out special, sorry, and you turned up to the pod on your debut, I believe, actually, and, uh, and turned up with Sol Campbell as your prospective manager. You've come on leaps and bounds, mate, in the last 84 days. Fantastic <laughs> stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to add a little bit of, of flavour to the Nigel Adkins, um, you know, packet of crisps, to quote Andy there. Um, a little bit of flavour... The last time he was in League One, he managed Sheffield United, who were arguably one of the biggest clubs ever to be in League One. They ended the season in eleventh place, their lowest, their lowest league, to, the, the lowest position ever since 1983, um, and they were eight points off the playoffs. So the last time he was in League One, he failed, um, and the last time Tisdale was in League One, he didn't, he didn't exactly do brilliantly either. So, and they, you know, you're going back for you're going back years here. When was he in League One last time? 20, 2016. So you're going back the best part of five years. So. I, I just don't know. I just don't know whether he is. I I I struggle to be excited by someone who 
who the only clubs he's ever performed at at League One level have been big budget, and even then the last big budget he failed at. Was Scunthorpe? Hang on, you got you got a figure there. Um, was Scunthorpe League One? Did he take up to the championship? Yeah, he did. Yeah, back in two thousand seven. Yeah, that's what I thought, and that wouldn't have been big budget. That would have been a very similar club to Mr. Ravers. What I do want to say is, we've said countless times off recording that how much money we should have coming into the summer, especially with no wage cut. We've got these big owners leaving, and I imagine we will have a top-end wage budget next year. And in a market where you're going to think most clubs are going to be selling because we've been in a pandemic all year, and Bristol's had their debts covered, I feel we'll be going into it, especially if a few big clubs cut hopefully going up to the championship, we would be one of the top uh, like wage guys in the league. And so Nigel Atkins will have a budget to spend. In the summer, we've got £1.3 million worth of wages coming off the wage bill. £1.3 million a year coming off the wage bill. So the budget, if they put that into transfer budget, which they probably won't, what they'll probably do is amortise that against our, our outstanding operating loss for this season. That's what they'll probably do. Um, but if they put that towards... Towards player signings, 1.3 million in player turnover. When you when you look at it, some of them they, they, when they came down, they had a 65 million pound playing budget. So when you look at it, the likes of Southampton is you know it's 165th of what of what they're playing with. But for Rovers context, that is that is a massive, massive, massive amount of money to being added to to, to the potential wage bill um, to go out and attract players. So yeah, I, I take your point. I take the point that it, it, his achievement at Scunthorpe was amazing. His achievement at Southampton was, like the team he put together was ridiculous. Um, keeping Hull up, given the bass at Coast Club they are, was really good. But there are, there are just question marks over, <laughs> over A, how long he's been out of the game, and B, how long he's been out of League One for me. That's just my opinion. So if I was to ask you a quick yes or no, would you be giving us a yes or a no for Atkins then? Who are you asking? You. I'll go for all of you, but I'll go you first. Part part says no. Something about it I don't like. What do you say, Oz? No, and I'll come to why when I give my reasoning for a, and who I want for the right. job. What about you, Muxy? Yeah, wouldn't be wouldn't be against it at all, mate. I'd have him. I'd have him if he if he if he was a name tomorrow. I'd have no issues with it whatsoever. I'm not saying I'd be against it, but I certainly wouldn't ever be for it. Um, but I can see why he features in 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 so many people's that there are arguments to be had to make that on paper he's a good signing. Oh, Zen, you, you, you alluded to you've got someone that you want to come in. Who do you want and why? For me, I wouldn't be going for anyone external at this point for the simple reason that we're already paying two managers that we've sat this season. I think the football club, for me, unless we've got a magic money tree that I'm not, not aware of, either needs to go, is going to have to go external or is going to have to go, oh, sorry, is that either going to have to go internal or external? on a contract maybe to the end of the season. And I had conversations with all of you prior to coming on. I thought the only man that would take it externally to the end of the season would be in Holloway. It appears, according to the post, that he is either isn't interested or or whatever. So I don't see the club going for a big external appointment on anything, on any significant contract. We, we're, we've still got two managers on the books. I, I genuinely... and. The risk by going for another external manager is we've still got 20 games of the season left. Let's not forget that. We could well, at the end of this season, have to get rid of another manager and be paying three football managers, be relegated, and in League Two. For me, that is a, a risk that would we be willing to take? I would maybe suggest not. So therefore, you're looking ex- internally. Are you looking at maybe a Mansell, Anthony, Hargreaves, 
I don't know what you call it, threesome, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I feel that's the way the club will go. Especially, as I've said, I can see the situation in potentially in two weeks' time looking better. Widrington, pretty much it looks like he's going to be in charge on Saturday. If he wins Saturday, he's then got Wigan to play within the next week as well. He could then have won two out of three, two out of two, three out of three. We don't know. And then at that point, for me, he gets his end of the season. We've spent the last hour and a bit basically dissecting the Rovers squad from top to bottom and inside out. I think we've come to the conclusion that we've got quite a lot of talented players and that we're not good enough at doing the dark arts and essentially the squad isn't as motivated as it could be. Would that be safe to say? I think that's pretty much the conclusion we've come to, isn't it? So then we, so then you're looking at the next manager. You basically need a, a manager who's going to be able to unlock that. And But this, this conversation, this could go one or two ways from here. Either you appoint someone like Ian Holloway or somebody who's incredibly passionate and basically goes in the dressing room and for all intents and purposes, smashes it up. And it then goes one way or the other, doesn't it? Either he gets a reaction out of the players or the players basically withdraw labour for all intents and purposes, which it, then it could get worse. So I suspect... politics into it. Grow up, Muncy. So <laughs> I suspect from here, as I've said, for reasons that Muncy firmly disputes, the club will go internal. And for that reason... I don't see it going past Tommy Widrington. Yes, but that's not at the minute. I, I feel we think we'll be appointed. Who, who do you want to be appointed? I, I said in the first section who I I, I would give it. I would have given it to Ian Holloway. I would have. I think he's the man to go in the dressing room and really try and get things going. Potentially, it would have gone belly right up. But somebody needs to put some passion and some fire in these players' bellies. And for me, he'd be the man to do that. He'd also, put some, he'd also put some fire back in the fans' bellies as well. Yeah, at the minute, there's a lot of fire in the fans' bellies, but it's directed in anger, you know, and I'm certainly a case and in point also, of that. Ian Holloway, if you were to appoint Ian Holloway, that would be a good way of while Al Caddy and Tommy Widrington putting some, some um, blame away from them. A point of fan legend, get people looking away in the right direction. Although, if they were to then appoint Holloway because Holloway has been fairly critical of the board in recent times if it was to then go wrong and Holloway was to see the inner workings of the club and not like what he saw potentially that could if he was to then go back to the Bristol Post that could look badly on the board as well yeah I think even before he ruled himself out he had no chance of getting it for that reason Monty talk us through it who, who, who do you want to get the job oh I. I'm torn. I'm torn between two people. Um, and for me, it is, a, it is a clear choice between two people. Um, if you want to go external, for me, it's Jerry Barton every day of the week. Um, the bloke done really well at Fleetwood. He's earned his stripes in League One. He's proven that he can do it and get a team up, challenging where we want to be. He would certainly add a bit of fire to this team and a bit of aggression, which is desperately needed. I actually think he would actually take a lot of these younger players under their, under his wing and actually turn them into some really good footballers. I believe he's a really good coach from what, I've, I, what I understand, which is why he's done so well with some of the young guys at Fleetwood. 
Um, and he only really fell out with the older heads, wasn't it? It was the, the the people that had been there and done it. Maybe were the ones with the egos that that, that he fell out with, and um, you know, wanted to um, have a scrap with, shall we say? Um, but I just think he be he would be really, really good, and I just think he would be exactly what we need at this moment. He would certainly inject a bit of passion, as you said, uh, Ollie, into the in, into things. He would certainly get the fans going. So I think he ticked an awful lot of boxes. However, I'm I, I had a conversation the other day and we were going through the number of external recruitment drives, if you like, that we have had as a football club. And since Bobby Gould, um, we can only come up with Bobby Gould, that is. Yeah, yeah, friend of, friend of the show. <laughs> Bobby Gould, um, which was back in 1980, early 80s, that Bobby Gould was manager. Well, we say friend. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think it was okay. 83. <laughs> um, we have had one. One manager that has been employed externally from the club that has been a success. And that is John Ward, the first time. John Ward, Mark one. Every single manager that has had success, you know, and I'm including Bobby Gordon that because he was a player before he came manager. He was, as we know, he was training with the club. Jerry Francis was a player before he became manager at the club. Uh, Paul Trollope was a player and then became manager at the club. Darrell Clark was chosen by John Ward, not by the board, by John Ward to become manager and then, or assistant manager, and then became manager of the club. We have we have one one person that has come externally and been a success. Every other person we've ever gone and externally and got and gone, oh yeah, their CV looks good. They look good. They're a great show. Have been an absolute abject failure. So why would we stray away from something that history is telling us works and give it and we'll not give it to somebody within the club? And for that reason. Um, I would give it to Lee Mansell. So when I made those points back in December, when uh, when Garda was gone, and I made that exact point, and everyone told me, no, 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 you're wrong, it's not the time, we can't go external, and I said to you, it's the only thing that's ever worked for us. And you all said, no, 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 we'll go external, thank you very much, we'll go sign some other, other players. Are you taking a piss at me? I think Charlie's exact words were, Luke knows the least about football, and it's taken you 84 days, and you've all come around to my, my thinking. I can fair do, it takes time. You can't all be football geniuses, but I will say, just very quickly, just before we jump in, we have had one other, one other external appointment who was a success. He was on a temporary basis, and that was Russell Osman, who kept us in the Football League. He was the only other one. I would argue he he, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. But that is... But, however, wasn't he on the coaching staff prior? No, he came in, he was completely external, but he was was an interim manager. He might even even post money, so he understood the club. Yeah, he wasn't wasn't a permanent manager either, so it was just one of those... Um, but I thought he was yes. great. He, but, probably, you know, but we said we have a. Uh, you look at all the managers we've had: Tisdale, Garner, McGee. I oh, don't. It's too Atkins. depressing. Don't, don't make you know, you just so go back. It's just a, a, li- a long list of abject, apps graded, absolute failures who have you know just. Or, or, and, and, and let's be honest. Let's be brutal. Coughlin was a success. Wasn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah. It was an internal appointment. You know. Let's be honest, most of the fans, when most of these managers were, were, were recruited and, and were signed up, were like, 
Yeah, yeah, this is a good. Yeah, Ray Graydon had a brilliant record at Warsaw. Brilliant. He's going to get us up. Brilliant. Mark McGee. Fucking hell. We've got Mark McGee. He's an international manager. Wow, how great. Useless. Ian Atkins. Oh, he was brilliant off Hampton, but he absolutely smashed us when, they were, when he played him in the playoffs. They've got a great manager. Useless. So let's stop going out and getting all these names and we've already got all the CVs that look great and actually look at people maybe that understand Bristol Rovers because let's be honest, we are a unique club. And I know we can say that because we're, we say that we're fans are oh, different to other clubs. We are unique. You know, we are ragbag Bristol Rovers, if you like. We're, you know, we were one of the few clubs that have played 13, 14 miles away. We're playing in a shithole of a stadium. We're playing, we, we didn't have our own training ground until very, 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 very recently. You know, we are a bit unique. And it takes something to actually understand the ethos and the makeup of Bristol Rovers. And maybe that's what it takes to actually become a successful manager, to instill that into the players. Tony, you were going to say um, something? Well, my point's probably gone. Yeah, what I was to say about Lee Manson is that I do wonder, though, that we've had many managers come in now, and he's always stayed involved with the youth. Except for, I believe it was Peterborough at home when Coughlin left, and we got a 0-0. And it was Kevin Mayer was in charge. I think that's a, I think that's a good thing. It might thing, have been though. the Plymouth game in the FA Cup as well. I think that's a good thing. But do you not He's feel kept... that it that if you are looking at internal appointments, you look at someone who's been with the first team? And I'm not He's I don't actually know what Jack Measure is. I don't even know what he does. He's kept this distance. Or Kevin Mayer. He's, all... He's kept he's kept this distance from the the basically the, the levels and levels and levels of shite that we've had. So, A, he'll come in with brand new, fresh ideas because he's not been working with these players week in, week out. But B, he's there week in, week out. He sees them play week in, week out. He will run training sessions with them week in, week out. And C, so, I mean, I'll nail my my colours to the mass and as it's my turn. Um, I am always was and always will be Lee Manselin. I I completely subscribe to the idea that internal promotions are the way to go for a club like Bristol Rovers. Um, I think... With external promotions, Rovers are probably the most patient set of fans in the country. I would argue we are the most patient set of fans in the country. We don't have any demands. We don't demand the training ground. We don't demand a particular style of play. We don't demand championship football. We don't even demand top end of League One football. What we demand is a, a semi-ambitious club, but we don't, we don't really care about that. What we demand is a set of players who come onto the pitch and win and lose, honestly. And I think the big names that came in, you're Mark McGee's. Mark McGee didn't give a fuck about Bristol Rovers Football Club. He did not buy into it whatsoever. He didn't understand anything about Bristol Rovers Football Club. He didn't take the time to, and he just ultimately ended up just taking the piss out of the fans by playing people like Adam Virgo up front. Lee Mansell, let me tell you, would never, ever, ever play Lee Ma- um, Adam Virgo up front. It would never happen. He would never, ever take the piss out of the fans like that. And that's all the fans ask for. We're not asking to be a playoff, a League One playoff club. We're not asking to be in the championship. We're not asking for a brand... Well, collectively, we're not asking for a brand new stadium. There's no, there's no fan-led movement. There's no petitions there's no anger there's no angst there's there's anxiety and there's desire for a new stadium of course there is but there's no there's no organized fan groups and i think mansell to, to come in it, there's a it, there's a really splintered fan base here despite the fact we're the most patient because there's a lot going wrong at the football club and so many people are pointing blame in in, in so many different areas some say it's the manager some say it's the recruitment some say it's going high going as high as well some are blaming the players um you know there's a lot of people really pissed off with with a lot of things but I think the one person who could who could come into this football club, who's got his badges, is a player who's who's worn the badge, has got a double promotion with the football club, 
who has scored arguably the most important goal this football club's ever seen. So all those things buys Lee Mansell time. And it buys him time in a really patient fan base. Now, I know it might, some people might laugh at me when I say really patient fan base. With me, you know, the idea that I'm a really patient fan, I am a really patient fan. But what I don't take kindly to is, is feeling like we're being, take, we're being taken the piss out of. I think, I think Ghana took the piss out of the football club, if I'm honest. I think the, 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 the style and the way we played, and it was just so, it was so bad. And the way that he didn't, he didn't play forward football, which is all we, all we ask for is ambitious, honest. Let's just play attacking football on the front foot. If we lose, we lose. If we don't lose, at least we've gone about it the right way. And I think Lee Mansell understands that. Lee Mansell, crucially, has been a part of three, obviously because he retired in the second, in the final League One season. He's been a part of three Rovers teams who have, uh, who have never had more buy-in in, in the fans in my lifetime than the one that came up from the conference and the one that went straight back up. And he's been, he was he was captain for this for um for his first League One season. But he was vice captain of the football club. He is completely central to everything that was good about Bristol Rovers Football Club. And he understands what the fans care about. And he understands what what, what drives success. He had a brilliant career as a player. He's been in League One promotion seasons. He's been in League One relegation seasons. He's been in League Two promotion seasons. He's been in League Two relegation seasons. He's been in the conference promotion seasons twice. He's been all over the football leagues. He understands every element of what it takes to be a success in the lower leagues as a player. And he's been that side. And he... It is so obvious he cares about this football club. And all, that's all I ask for as a manager is to buy into what these fans care about. And what we care about is those players who we all grew up dreaming of wearing those blue and white quarters and we all dream of going and snapping anybody in half who wants to score against Bristol Rovers. That's all we ask. That's all we ask. We don't care about anything else. All the rest of it, all the off-the-field shit, couldn't give a shit about it. And Mansell gets that. Mansell completely understands that. And that is why he's the only candidate, in my eyes, for the job. But the one that will get it is Tommy Widgington. And that's also a good thing too. No, Smith, I think you've hit the nail on the head really, mate. We've got to get a candidate here who understands the football club. Because the bottom line of it is, hopefully, all things being equal, whoever comes in has got 20 games, I think probably without fans, and I think that's most people what the same way of thinking. What will con- from this point here, what will constitute success? For me, success will be when we... When we get back in the ground, say, argument's sake, it's the 3rd of August 2021, for the start of the 2021-2022 season, if Bristol Rovers are not in, in League 2. If Lee Mansell was to achieve that between now and then, what a future he could have with his football club. Yeah. It, would be a, it, would, it really would be the only internal appointment you could make that would be a long-term one. And can I just say, Ollie, and, I, and you're going to ridicule it now because I, 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 particularly Charles, young Charles will love this. But there is actually a bit of a, a history of a, of a certain somebody who I've been banging on about. And I'm not going to mention to get the job this time, but someone, certain someone did a very similar thing, if you recall. Um, yeah. Came from nowhere. No one had ever heard of him. Came in and took a club from basically certain relegation, and we're not even at certain relegation, and kept them up. And then out top of League Two. You know, yeah. there is absolutely no reason why Lee Mansell couldn't next could be the next Michael Flynn. Of course, he could be the next um, Paul Trollop, who basically had one good season and then never been heard of again. Of course, he could be. You do bloody well. We don't know that, so we get the bloke a chance. Well, it'd be all right. Uh, he also, <laughs> there's plenty of examples. You know, Eddie Howe. You know, 
Bournemouth were rock bottom. He stepped into the management and look where they are now and look where they were. And I'm not saying we, we don't have the Russian billionaire to back us, but there are plenty of examples of, of club legends stepping away from football and stepping away and stepping into the management structure and, and taking the club forward. And we 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 pray and we whinge about so much and, and it's come out saying we want to follow the Brentford model, we want to follow the Brighton model, we want to follow the Bournemouth model, yada, yada, yada. Stop trying to follow that model. Do it our own way. This season, my father called, called Ben Garner the FIFA manager. He, he described him as a bloke who'd only ever played FIFA, who'd played with various formations on FIFA and had never properly managed a team. So we went down that route. We then got rid of him. And then we went for, I would say, a, a relatively experienced manager, wouldn't you? Under Paul yeah. Tisdale. Yeah, yeah. So we've tried both, both those models. The only model left to try is the internal, is the internal model. Which has worked time and time and time again at Bristol Rovers Football Club. Not only not only has it worked time and time again, and you are absolutely correct, Monksy. We've tried everything else. Mm. We've tried the external model. It doesn't flipping work. So yeah, Yeah. you're right. It sounded like Mr. Tisdale himself. Why not go back to basics and look a bit closer to home? Whether it be whether it be a Mansell, whether it be an Anthony, whether it be a Hargreaves whatever we can argue about that but i do firmly believe that the situation we're in with already having two managers that we're paying off i don't barbara holloway who was virtually ruled himself out i don't see any logical alternative other than going for an internal appointment so with that in mind that's who we all want it to be we've all we built we've all been through our desires who do we think it will be to end of the season i i think it will be widgington which will be Agree. If the bus if the bus is on fire now, fuck knows what it'll be like by the end of the season. Um, I think it will. I think it'll be Whittington. It'll um, just be an axle. <laughs> oh, it, 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 yeah, it'd be like speed. It'd be like if he, it'd be like if he, if he if he gets under one point three points a game, then the, the bus blows up, um, and he will get one less than one point three get points a game. So that'll be a laugh. Uh, so yeah, I think it'll be weird. But then, but then, I suppose you know he signed these players is what if what we're saying. So if he can't get the best out of it, then what hope has anybody got? Yeah, that was, that was my point on, on Tuesday. Uh, also, you had your hands up. No, I think you're absolutely correct. It could be, so you've, or, or sorry, we as a as a pod for the last hour and a bit of slagged off Widrington. It's time to put him in there and go, look, you sign these claims, you go and prove to me, if say you're Wild Al Caddy on Saturday, you go, you prove to me that it's the Wazzups that I employed that have buggered this up, not your recruitment. Go yeah. and get the best out of them. And if you can't get the best out of them, therefore it's a proven fact that the players you've signed are not good enough. And then then his position is even well, it's it's untenable now, I think, but it's even it more untenable. Yeah. yeah, it's beyond untenable. I don't know another way of describing it. Beyond untenable, so he then becomes Boris Johnson. So what you're saying then is, are we going to have the quarterly um, <laughs> totem bar next manager next job, please? Yeah, we'll schedule this one in for I don't know the end of April. But is 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 the next manager the next permanent manager? Are we are we staying up? Do we think we're staying up this season? Right. Do you know what? Are we going to have this conversation in a quarter's time? Yes, we are. Because, in my opinion, Widdington will get the job to the end of the season. 
and then they'll look for somebody else in the summer. So, you know, we can all turn around and we can say who the hell we want is going to be manager, boom, 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 boom. I think we've all agreed, haven't we, that Widerington is going to be, you know, the interim manager for the foreseeable and probably until the end of the season. Will he be the long-term manager? Probably not, because he's actually openly said he doesn't want to be a manager. So it'd be ludicrous to, for him to then suddenly go, oh, actually, I quite enjoyed it, you know, getting relegated. I'll, I'll be manager in League 2 next season, you know. So, you know, I think we are going to be having this conversation. This could be the quarterly to end bar um, <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, go on in, Ollie and Charlie, then we'll wrap up. So... For me, there's three likely scenarios from there. One is that we go external and we will be having this conversation between now and the end of the season again. But in 20 games, another manager got a boot. The second one is we're having this conversation at the end of the season because Widrington has taken it to the end of the season. And for whatever reason, either we stayed up or gone down. The manager's vacancy will come back up. Or the third one is potentially that we go internal. And I actually happen to think that would be the most long-term thing. Because, well, certainly if we gave it internal to someone like a Mansell and Anthony Hargreaves, we stayed up, they would get next year, absolutely. Or there's even an, ex- an argument to say that if we went internal, went down, you give it to them again, a bit like we stuck with Darrow at this point. This is my point, actually, with why I would give it to Lee Mansell. You know, and people have been shouting me down on Twitter all day about it. Oh, you can't, yeah, you're basically giving him a hospital pass and you're giving him, a, you know, the first lemon over the cliff and all that. Well, actually, no, because Darrell Clark took us down and then rebuilt us back. And let's be honest, we had to go down in order to rebuild. And there is an argument that could be said that the players we've got aren't actually bad footballers. They're just not quite ready yet. And maybe going down to League Two could be a good thing because then you could bring Lee Mansell in now, let him get all his mistakes out of the way now in the next 20 games, let him get his learning, let him get his, his apprenticeship, if you like, done in the next 20 games. If we're going to go down, let's just go down and, and have a plan for next season. Because as far as I can see, we could bring in fucking Jose Mourinho and we're going we're to go down because we cannot score goals. And if you cannot score goals, you're going to get relegated. Those are the cold, hard facts. You look at history, the teams that score the least goals tend to get relegated. We are in that bottom four of number of goals scored. So let's give the bloke a chance. Let's go and give him a you know, a chance to go and cut his teeth, make mistakes now in 20 games, and the next season, hit the ground running, he can make his changes, bring in a couple of experienced heads um, to actually go in and, and hit League 2 running, win League 2, and let's do a Lincoln. Charlie? Final thought. Well, then again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, final, the final part I would make is with Tommy Widrington that um, he's managed just once this season and he loves to win football matches. So he might not love to sign good footballers, but I remember his interview and I'm pretty sure we played Chelsea, I want to say, the 23s. Yeah. Uh, we won 4-3. So if we can score some goals, we might have a, we might have a chance because I remember his interview is probably so bird and talk went about how much he doesn't care whereas Garner whereas Tommy did say when he took that one game that winning is the most important thing which is quite odd considering he's signing all players down to a model and to play a perfect game but when he's in charge 
he fuck that, let's go and win however. So it'd be interesting to see if he did get it, if he changes. So to summarise then, our thoughts as a podcast, we are Widgington out and we are ideally Just go in. someone like a yeah, someone like a a Mansell, Hargreaves and or Byron Anthony in um, except for Charlie who wants to go and get Nigel Atkins, which is mental. That is the end of the Twasdale special. Um, we will we will be back with the start of series two uh, in a week's time. Uh, we've got an episode in the pipeline to come with you, uh, to come to come to you with you for you. Probably not come for you. That's a bit weird. But they, it will be in your ears. It will come in your ears in about a week and a bit's time. Uh, <laughs> um, we're normally a little bit more fun. I'm normally a little bit less aggressive than the the, the sort of the, the passion that I've shown being so Andrew Widgington here um, I apologise if there's anything libelous lawyers if you're listening get in touch if we've said anything that might be probably airing on the side of libel um, congratulations if you've made it this far to the end of the podcast I know I, know I wouldn't have um, but but thanks guys for your thanks guys for your time thanks guys for your um, your patient analysis and insight um, and we'll be back with you in what 10 days time or so All right, have a good night fellas catch you all later on <laughs>